Hey guys, welcome to Transition Talk Unplugged, where we dive into Charles Loretto's brain today. <laughs> scary, scary place sometimes, right? So, uh, so tell me, uh, what is on your mind? What what called this this meeting to order? Well, good to see you, Christy. <laughs> so I, I recently just came back from the AAPD, uh, the pediatric meeting, and then I also did a webinar on the American Board of Pediatric Dentistry. And I had no idea just the power of the great uh, intranet and how it connected to so many young residents. And I just had a whole bunch of them email me individually, as well as come up to me at the AAPD. And just really, I just kept repeating myself. I had so many young pediatric dentists that come up and they just... They need just a boost of confidence. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? Like, what are you doing? This is a no freaking brainer that you got to do this. And so let me ask you a question before I, I just go off on this long tangent about pediatric dentistry. But when when you value a business, because you're like the misvaluation, misvaluation. Uh, god around here and everyone looks up to Christy Ratcliffe. <laughs> she's she's the CPA. She's the, the CPA. Yeah, she's got all the letters behind her name. <laughs> uh, so when you're looking at, at businesses, including uh, pediatric dentistry, is this animal different? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, there are always going to be your consistent valuation pieces, right? Like equipment and where it is and tenure staff and the transition plan. Um, there's always those valuation components. But in a pediatric practice, there's oftentimes, well, it's it's rare that there's not a Medicaid component. We'll right. talk about that a little later. So that, that'll impact it. Um, your patient base there's just a need for a pediatric dentist. So your patient flow, your hygiene is usually super, super high in a pediatric practice. You're normally going to have, um, I look at your new patients and the age of your patients, right? If you're an older pediatric practice where all your patients are aged out versus a young thriving and you've got a bunch of two-year-olds in your chair, right. um, then it's going to be the space capacity, right? You're usually operating at a bigger building. And so, yeah, it's a different animal for sure to value. I'm I mean, there's always going to be your old standby, but it, it's for sure different. And I think you have to understand how a pediatric practice is different from a general or a perio or an endo when you're looking at becoming one or buying one. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let me give you, let me give you two yeah, extremes. Give me some okay. examples. So let me give you example one of a fee for service practice. It's awesome location. Yep. We've got a young resident's been out one or two years. He's looking at this practice and saying, hey, Charles, what do you think about this? And again, a pediatric, uh, they are high in demand. High they, in, in the drivers. Yeah, they, they are very much, in, it is a buyer's market for them. The opposite scenario would be orthodontics where it's very much a seller's market. Right. So they're calling the shots. You look at the number of retiring uh, pediatric dentists compared to the few number of uh, graduating residents, they again, driver seat. But here's an example to where I am willing to pay a premium on a practice because I'm able to see not just the opportunity and the cash flows, which we talked about in our lending episode, but I'm able to see something else, which is this business that in this case he is going to buy. It's about ready to take off. So this particular practice is like right across the street from a bunch of pediatricians. Mm, and so you've got, uh, exactly. You know, yeah. where do you get, where do you get pedo? It, you, you get them from a sign and you get them because you're just high in demand. And yeah. obviously, uh, from, from pedi the pediatrician that they're now going to be sending 
they got a little checklist and I've got kids. I remember, do you have it? Do you have a, a, a pediatric dentist? Yes or no check. And then my guy says, you know, rings a little doorbell and the little girl comes in, assistant says, yes. You know, and says, well, give me that sheet uh, of those pediatric dentists uh, that, uh, that we send to. Didn't even know the names and gave me like an old uh, paper copy, photocopy of like three business cards. And um, I guarantee you those pediatricians have not, pediatric dentists have not even been marketing too Mm-mm. because they're busy. Yeah. Right. When do you market? You market when you, you know, you're young and you're trying to drive this thing. So this practice is for sale and it does for simplicity, a million dollars. And the price of the practice is 950000 which is extremely, extremely high for a pediatric practice. But because of its location, because in this case, my buyer is from the area, this is where they want to be. Um, the cash flow is about 50%. So it nets about a half a million dollars. It's just north of this, about a million two to be exact. It was netting about 600 grand. And uh, we were going to pay, I think it was like right at one, one is the exact number. Some, some, those numbers are really close. And the reason that I wanted to pay full asking price is because this particular seller was actually closing their doors at three o'clock in the afternoon for the last approximately 30 years. And the reason they were closing the practice at 3 p.m. is because they could. Mm -hmm. And they were very much family oriented where they wanted to spend time with their family. And so that's the peak time of pediatric dentist. What's the point? The point is this, this stock is just ready to take off. And so we know that this particular practice did actually take off. And so it it was awesome. For us, I'm looking at a lot of different things. But for me, uh, this practice was just just a no-brainer to purchase. Now, I spent about 45 minutes with this young man in Hawaii. So if you're listening, hello. Um, This practice was in a rural area, and it did $5 million of collections. And a great overhead at two and a half million. So the guy, in this case, the owner, was making two and a half million. Wow. My associate that I'm talking to makes $300,000. Now, this was a heavily, heavily Medicaid practice, Mm -hmm. north of uh, 50%. I think the number was actually closer to 70% of a Medicaid-driven practice. Yeah. So the seller wants to sell the business. He wants to sell the business for $4 million. So if I finance $4 million, I may finance that, you know, in a couple of pieces, half now, half later, I can maybe look at those cash flows and show you that it might make sense. But here is the problem. This young buyer cannot do the work because in all fields of dentistry, there's only so much you can do. So in this example, for a pediatric dentist, somewhere around one and a half uh, about a million and a half. Coincidentally, how many doctors were there? Three people, right? Mm-hmm. So I get three people to do the work. And I've got, uh, well, who else is working there? Maybe you can, is this another young person that you can maybe partner with? You buy this thing together. I'm not really comfortable with the price, but let's just talk about who can do the dentistry. Right. No, the other doctor's like 70. Oh, and the other guy's going to sell. So what are you buying? Yeah. You're buying a, a Medicaid practice that you can't do the work. You're going to have to find someone. You're going to have to find someone. It's a critical problem. In rural America, as a pediatric dentist, which takes two people to tango, Christy. Yeah. And you've got to figure out how to find that person uh, and their spouse to come to this area. Yeah. And why would you want to do that? Unless maybe he's got some ties. Other than that, they're not going there. So I've got so many problems with this practice. It's way too big. I could easily go down the street and set up a $450,000 startup with zero patients today and drive in 
uh, as many of those Medicaid patients as I want to, probably provide better services uh, to my fee-for-service and my, and my PPO patients because that practice is so crazy okay. busy, so booked out, it, it, it's outdated, and I'm just, these wheels are just turning on this young man. You just see him like, I haven't thought of this. I haven't thought of this. And so hopefully I was getting the wheels turning here. But those are two major extremes yeah, of paying maybe 90, 95%. You know, I, I don't know what my number is on this. I, I may only pay around 2 million, 40% of this thing because I just can't justify it. Yeah. Like, I think I see that all the time. And you hear that when people say, oh, this pediatric practice is valued at 70% of collections. Okay, well, that means nothing, nothing to me, right? Like, it doesn't matter. And similarly, if you were to come to me and tell me that practice was 95%, I'd initially probably be like, oh, that's high. But then you tell me the story. It's across the street. It's fee-for-service. It's got this overhead. You're like, oh, well, I'd, I'd happily pay that. So I hear you loud and clear, like two extremes. So Dallas, Texas is growing. You know, we've got great, you know, San Antonio. We've got Austin. we got Dallas, Houston. Let's say you're in Dallas and you've got a big pedo program here at uh, Texas A&M. I mean, it's to be called Baylor, but Texas A&M. <laughs> I can't get all the names right. So, and they graduate out of like eight residents, uh, you know, a year. And let's say you've got a beautiful practice near uptown with a bunch of Highland Park, you know, kids. Awesome. Right. You know why it's, it's awesome and it was doing two or three or four million dollars? You know why I'd be willing to pay a lot of money for this? Because I could always get these you know, yeah. uh, A&M grads to come and yeah. work here. And I can market to the rest of the country. Move to Dallas, right. Texas. It's a great market. Come work for two years. I'll pay you $300,000 a year as an associate to work in this PPO fee-for-service practice. I'll show you a plan. But in rural America, Medicaid, I just don't get it. Yeah. Right? And so, the Medicaid percentage makes a big a big difference. How it much does. is and it? It's fine to have a more, certain percent, right? It's, it's yeah, fine. I'm surprised when I see a fee-for-service pedo office, right? right? Without I, it, any. Without any. Right. Um, I think the Cane Waters... Um, how does your practice compare? They have a pedo book. Right. Um, and I think the average that they quote is 20%. Right. right. Their their average practice has 20%. And so, so I think that it's normal and not something to shy away from in the pedo world as long as it's reasonable and priced appropriately. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So something else I want to hit on is the lease. I want to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. space. I want to talk about yeah. uh, the building. So here's where I'm going with this is... My vision for you as a pediatric dentist would be as a young person, you get out of school, you, you, you own this thing, and you're going to be capped. You're going to be capped at, let's say, a million, three million, five, because you can't physically do anymore. You bring an associate, now a partner, the two of you do maybe three million. Then you bring an orthodontist in, now you're doing four million, five million. Then you bring a, a general dentist in, and you do six million. And I have personally seen that play out. But it's got multiple doctors in this practice. But the cool thing is the person who starts it, the person, the pediatrician that first starts it gets to sell a piece, a piece, a piece, you know, along the way. You know, sometimes if you know you're in the driver's seat, which you are in a pediatric dentist, as a pediatric dentist, the question is, do you lease or do you build? And the problem with building out of the gate is you don't know the first five to seven years what the guy or gal is going to need between years seven to 25. And so I'm kind of a fan of leasing something my first, uh, you know, seven years. I'm probably looking at about 2,800 square feet, uh, 2,500 square feet, something like that. I want two quiet rooms, four open bay, and I'm going to, you know, borrow somewhere in the neighborhood of about... 
you know, four hundred fifty, five hundred thousand dollars, and then I'm just going to drive this thing, mm-hmm. drive it to where I can't do anymore. Bring an associate, I'm just crushing it. I'm doing million, three million, four million, five, making a ton of money, and I've got a vision of what my new real estate is going to look like. And I'm buying on the corner of A and B, and I, I, I may build. I know this is crazy, but we may build as much as five, six thousand square feet. But before I do that, I'm more than likely going to have a partner with me so I share the cost on the real estate with someone else. I mean, think about the opportunity of expanding services and making a multi-specialty mm-hmm. uh, practice, maybe the ortho, the, 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 mm-hmm. the general dentist. I mean, this is definitely for the entrepreneur, definitely for someone that really yeah. can see like the vision so. uh, the vision of saying, um, but it is certainly, uh, certainly there. So kind of phase one is, is figuring out what you don't know. Let's just grow this thing. Phase two is much, much bigger, um, you know, where you're, you're kind of going from, I typically would say like phase two is maybe year seven to 10, somewhere around that, all the way to a year's, you know, maybe 25 um, and year 30. So it's kind of hard to figure out that early on. So, But some people do it. I mean, we talk to people who have the vision and they just, they're entrepreneurs and they want to go big, right? And the only way to get there is to start doing it. Yeah. So especially in this specialty, when you do have such a big demand and you are in the driver's seat. Big demand is when you can open a business and have 100 new patients a month. Yeah. Okay. And general dentists are seeing that 100 new patients a month, but that's corporate. Okay. Because they understand marketing. You don't have to be a great marketer uh, as a pediatric dentist. You're just that much, you know, in demand. So you'll typically see that 100 new patient flow, 70, 80, 90, 100 plus new patient flow coming into these pedo offices. So when you look at the collections based on those patients, you'll see between months like 13 and 24, hitting somewhere in the 70, 80,000 of collections a month. Now, all of a sudden, they're tracking like, you know, a million bucks a year. And what's really important for us, you know, from the accounting standpoint is to be able to look to see when you guys are profitable. You know, I typically in a lecture format will say, look, the first 500 collections that you got in your business, you may only net 150000 But that next half a million of income, uh, now all of a sudden you have a, a million-dollar practice, you're going to net somewhere around 420000 And so in this example, you're netting 270000 on top of the first 150, that's how you get your 420 number, say it differently. The second 500,000 collections in your business, you're netting more than 50%. And so as these practices continue to grow, which again, in a pedo practice, they're going to grow really, really fast. You're just starting to make more and more profit. And you're really starting to leverage the profitability of the practice because your fixed costs are really fixed. And they were starting to leverage more out of our direct uh, cost employees. So this field is just just amazing. You're very much in the driver's seat. And um, I just don't want to see these young people selling themselves short. A nice start. You know, what should I think about? Mm-hmm. Should I buy this practice or not? It's kind of frustrating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So if someone just started listening, what are our takeaways? All right. Takeaways is this. Number one, you're going to make a crap load of money. So understand, uh, taxes will be a problem. You will need a consultant. I recommend a pediatric uh, consultant that can help you uh, with patient flow and just systems in your practice just to keep you sane. Find me one pediatric uh, dentist that is struggling, just sitting around. I don't have anything to do. They are buried. They were way too busy. 
Find me one that 10 years into it, they just built it way too big. I mean, that might exist, but it is the rare of this example. You're going to see more and more people that wish they would have uh, built this thing, you know, to accommodate the second and the third doctor, you know, coming in. Understand you're specially. Know that you're in the driver's seat, that patients are coming to you as a pediatric dentist. Know that uh, you've got this easy access to the patient, easy access to to our pediatrician versus the very heavily competitive market to where the general dentists are all fighting for the same patients. Know that you are going to be limited on the amount of patients you're going to be able to see. Know that that number between hygiene and uh, just the clinical pediatric dentistry you're doing per doctor is somewhere in the neighborhood of a, a, a one, two, one, three to maybe as much as about a million seven. But I mean, that is a giant number with a bunch of patients, you know, coming through there. It, knowing the value of your business as a pediatric dentist, either A, the owner or B, as the associate, know that uh, you're going to pay for something you're willing to pay for. And my two examples that I gave, willing to pay more for something that has excellent cash flow, excellent overhead, major metro city, the, across the street from the pediatrician to the rural area that is majorly just underserved, all of a sudden has a, a heavy Medicaid component, understand that you are in the driver's seat of that situation, either uh, the buyer or the seller. Again, that we're just not struggling uh, with new patients. And when you look at the math of running these dental practices, which corporate America has done, you will just see that it's putting those patients in the seat that are just, just driving revenue. And it, you could even make you know, the argument, too, that if you did go into this area and you set up a practice from scratch and you're not just crushing it for whatever reason, maybe you were only getting 30 new patients and 40 new patients a month because you didn't do the right demographic studies and you just didn't put the location in the right spot for whatever reason, you can easily, easily drive and go make 1200 14 I can think of an example, Christy, of a guy here in Dallas, Texas that drove to Tyler, Texas a number mm-hmm. of years ago and was working in the OR doing like $10,000 OR yeah. days, okay, and getting like 35%, yeah. $3,500 to drive an hour and a half east and drive back. Yeah. That made sense. As he started his business from scratch, he had that type of additional income. So that's my that's my takeaway. So thank you for the unplugged. Uh, I had to get that off my chest. No, I think it's wonderful. And I think all our pedos out there will love this because I know I've heard you say this on the phone too. So I just know this is going to be a good resource for them. So thank you. Well, and, you know, it's, a, it's a good insight too. That if you're a student or resident or student and trying to think of uh, maybe this field, I mean, if you like kids, it's certainly an, uh, an amazing uh, field to get into Absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. Well, wonderful. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Um, subscribe to us, listen to us for the latest transition talk, and uh, we'll check you later. All right. Bye. Thanks, Christy.